Welcome to Stories from Among the Stars. You're listening to The Last Watch by J.S. Dewis. Chapter 1 Spread your legs and bend over. Kevalon's face flushed. Actually flushed. Embarrassing Kevalon Mercer was a feat few could boast. He was a little impressed. He looked over his shoulder to grin at the guard, but the sour-faced man narrowed his eyes and jabbed Kavalon's hip with his shock baton. A jolt of electricity shot along the nerves of his leg. Spread him, soldier. Kavalon's smirk faded into a scowl. He complied, spreading his legs and leaning against the wall in front of him. He flinched at the snap of a rubber glove. If we're gonna do this, ah! Apparently, they were going to do it right the fuck now. Cavalon squirmed, pressing his cheek into the cold aerosteel wall as the guard reached higher. I mean, if we're going to be intimate, he managed. You could at least tell me your name. Bray. Pleased to uh, meet you, Bray. Does talking make this better for you? Bray jeered. Another guard snickered from behind a terminal in the corner of the room. Cavalon pressed his forehead against the wall and closed his eyes. No. Twenty hellish, uncomfortable seconds later, Bray removed his fingers and pulled off the glove. He's clear, Rivas. Was that strictly necessary? Cavalon grumbled. Rivas stepped out from behind the intake desk, Cavalon's underwear in hand. We like to be thorough. Clearly, Cavalon snatched his boxers from the smug man's grip and pulled them on. If this was what life aboard the SCS Argus was going to be like, he was already over it. Rivas returned to his terminal in the corner of the cramped intake chamber, lit only by a few narrow strips of recessed lights running vertically up the aerosteel walls. The holographic displays above the desk cast a dim blue aura across Rivas as he flicked through files. He stopped on a glowing icon and swept it open. Full name, Cavalon Augustus Mercer II. Confirm. That's me. Service number Sigma 6454-19. Confirm. Cavalon thumbed the pair of newly minted, absurdly antiquated, etched metal and glass identification tags around his neck. Uh, sounds right. Your bioscan determined a biological age of 34 standard years. Confirm. Cavalon narrowed his eyes. I'm 27. Soldier is advised that biological age factors and degradation of physical form due to environmental factors including injury, wear and tear, Use of narcotics. Yeah, I get it. Cavalon sighed. Sure, confirmed. Offenses listed as... Rivas exchanged a quick look with Bray, then raised an eyebrow at Cavalon. Redacted? A wave of relief washed over him and he forced a grin. Definitely confirmed. Rivas shook his head and swiped the screen. It flashed green... Then a shrill, artificial female voice rang from the speakers. Identity confirmed. Please proceed to the next intake chamber. A door in the sleek silver wall slid open, and Bray invited Cavalon forward with a condescending smile and a sweep of his arm. 
Cavallon drew back his shoulders and marched toward the door. Hold up, Bray grabbed Cavallon by the shoulder and pulled him back. You've got imprints. Cavallon twisted his right arm to angle his tricep at Bray, the gold and bronze squares of the imprint tattoos running from shoulder to wrist, rearranged with the flexing of muscle, glinting as they caught the light. Just noticed that, huh? Cavallon said. You were too busy checking out my- Shut it, Bray turned to Revis. Revis, imprints. Yeah, yeah, I heard you. Revis detached a tablet from the top of the console and walked around the desk. He swiped the screen, and a flood of neon blue text poured into the air above it, the lines blurring together as the words sped by. He took a deep breath. The System Collective Legion acknowledges that pre-existing imprints cannot be removed at risk of death. However, Measures will be taken to counteract inappropriate use of pre-existing imprints by whatever means deemed necessary by your commanding officer or the exhibitor. The holographic display above the tablet disappeared, and the outline of a small box materialized alongside a rather unfortunate mugshot of Cavallon. Do you understand? Revis asked. Cavallon scratched the back of his neck. Uh, yeah? I guess. Sign to acknowledge. Cavallon pressed his thumb to the tablet. The screen flashed and his fingerprint faded away as more blue text flooded the air above the tablet, disappearing off the top too quickly to be read. Rivas cleared his throat and continued. You will be receiving a second set of imprints per your intake aboard the SCS Argus. The System Collective Legion is not responsible for any adverse reaction you may have to an additional installation of imprints. For the soldier's comfort and safety, it is advised that the soldier not attempt to utilize the functions of pre-existing imprints at risk of volatile interfacing, which may include injury or death. Cavallon eyed the waiver warily. That sounds... bad? He'd only ever heard of half-breeds getting more than one set of imprints, and never with any kind of stable outcome. Do you understand? Revis prompted. What would you do if I said no? Cavallon asked. Do I get to go home? Revis's jaw flexed, and from the corner of his eye, Cavallon caught a glimpse of Bray's hand hovering over his shock baton. Cavallon sighed. It wasn't worth it, not yet at least. Okay, fine. I understand. No unsanctioned imprint shenanigans. Signed to acknowledge. He pressed his thumb against the screen again, and the tablet accepted it. Bray grabbed Cavallon's arm and dragged him into the next room. In stark contrast to the mood lighting in the violation chamber, this room seemed to be made of light. Walls of frosted glass showcased banks of white that bathed the entire chamber in an otherworldly glow. Cavallon shielded his eyes with his free hand as the door whizzed shut behind him. In the center of the room sat a narrow counter, glowing from within, much like the walls. A silver box was suspended from the ceiling above the counter, and a series of articulated arms hung lifelessly beneath it. An icy chill ran over Cavallon's bare skin, and he shuddered. He'd always found Viator Tech wholly unnerving. There was something off-putting about utilizing technology created by a species that had all but wiped out your own, even if the war had ended centuries ago. 
Though clearly a second-hand appropriation of the original tech, this apparatus too closely resembled the real thing, like the one from which Cavallon had received his current imprints on his 18th birthday, the same day he'd been forced to acknowledge his role as the Mercer heir, and the same day he'd vowed to find a way to escape his fate. He supposed getting shipped off to the Sentinels qualified as success in that regard, though certainly not the outcome he'd hoped for. He glanced at Bray, who swept his hand toward the machine in invitation. Cavallon ground his teeth. His first imprint experience had been borderline blackout painful. Wringing his hands, he shuffled forward, sucking in a long breath and letting it out through his teeth. He sat on the stool in front of the machine and a panel slid open, revealing a clamp recessed beneath the glowing glass counter. The computer's voice returned. Please place arm in the imprint chamber. Cavallon eyed the gold and bronze squares on his right arm, then shifted and laid his left into the clamp. Cold metal closed around his forearm and the machine whirred to life, buzzing and clicking. A series of thin red beams shone from each of the articulated limbs, and they positioned themselves noisily until the lasers lined up with their reference points. Please hold still during the imprint process, the computer said. White hot beams shot into Cavallon's arm and searing pain engulfed his senses. He gritted his teeth and withheld a groan as the lasers danced across his skin, burning and smoldering until his arm felt like it had caught fire. Just as he'd started to think it might be a good time to pass out, the heat from the lasers dissipated, along with the radiating light. His jaw slackened, teeth aching from prolonged clenching. Dozens of polished obsidian squares lay across the irritated bright pink skin on his forearm. He opened and closed his fist as the new imprint tattoos folded and unfolded of their own accord. They hummed as they streamed past his elbow and up his bicep. He twisted his arm to glance at his first set of imprints. The gold and bronze squares lay dormant in their default arrangement, a tidy series of lines that ran from wrist to shoulder. These new imprints crawled up his skin and fell into formation in a latticed grid on his left tricep, with a single dotted line of black squares trailing to his wrist. Imprint application complete, the computer chirped. Control protocols updated. Cavallon gulped. Control protocols? He ran his fingers along the new markings then took a breath and tried to access them, call out to them and command them like he could his royal imprints. But they didn't stir. They might have looked similar in appearance, but they were something else entirely. His stomach nodded. Having a set of imprints he couldn't control disconcerted him, to say the least. Who knew what these things could do to him? Come on, tough guy. Bray gripped Cavallon's shoulder and lifted him from the stool. Cavallon followed numbly, flexing his sore arm and scratching the irritated skin. Inside the next small room, Bray pressed his thumb into a screen and a panel in the wall opened, revealing a pile of navy blue clothing and a pair of black boots. Bray grabbed the stack and shoved it at Cavallon. Suit up. Boss is incoming. 
A door on the opposite wall slid open, and Bray left. Cavallon called after him. I thought we'd already moved past respecting each other's privacy. The door slid shut, leaving him alone in the changing room. He eyed the pile of clothes in his arms. Standard, legion-issued, dull navy blue layered with more navy blue. The centerpiece was a hooded, double-breasted vest, which fastened high across the chest with two long straps. A single, narrow, sandy brown bar pinned to the left arm of the long-sleeved shirt indicated his rank of oculus. His palms began to sweat as he pulled the clothing on piece by piece, trying and failing to not think about what stood on the other side of that door. Like every other kid in the system collective, Cavallon had played the game of Sentinel at the Divide, but never during his opulent childhood did he think it a fate that would actually befall him. The door opened and Bray stuck his head inside. Soldier. It was a single word command. Cavallon wiped his sweaty palms down the front of his vest and took a deep breath. He entered another cramped steel gray box. A simple narrow table and two straight-backed metal chairs sat in the center of the room. Clean white light poured through one of the slatted aerosteel walls, an illusion meant to simulate the light of a nearby star. But there were no stars this far out. No celestial bodies of any kind this close to the edge of the universe. No planets or moons. No asteroids or comets or black holes or intergalactic dust. Not even space junk. Just nothing. Just black. Just like the nursery rhyme. Cavallon would more than likely never see the light of a real star again. He licked his lips as he walked to the table and pulled a chair out. Nope. Bray chided. Cavallon stopped mid-sit and pushed the chair back, standing awkwardly at the edge of the table. He rubbed his new imprints, pain still sparking along the nerves in his left arm, then drummed his fingers across the cold metal table. After a minute of silence, he turned to raise a questioning eyebrow at Bray. The door across the room slid open. Bray snapped to attention, shoulders drawn back, fist to chest. A woman stepped in, back straight but head hung low, her olive skin taking on a cool tinge in the fake sunlight. She wore what looked like the undershirt of a flight suit, navy blue tank top over a short-sleeved gray shirt with a set of dog tags tucked between the layers. The glittering orange and yellow badges of her rank, meant to be displayed proudly across her shoulders, were obscured among the folds of the navy blue jacket tied around her waist. She looked for all the universe like a ship mechanic, mid-repair. She strode up to the table across from Cavallon, nodding at Bray. At ease. Bray turned on his heel and marched to stand beside the doorway she'd come through. Rake. She reached her hand across the table. Cavallon shook it, surprised at the firmness of her grip. Mercer. Cavallon responded on instinct, but immediately wished he could suck the surname back in. Er, Cavallon. Cap's fine. He let out a heavy sigh, like she didn't already know exactly who he was. Rake sat as Bray stepped forward to lay a tablet down in front of her. Cavallon eyed his chair, then gave Bray a sidelong look. The guard maintained his composure but rolled his eyes, which Cavallon took as permission. 
He pulled the chair out and sat. Rake stared at the tablet, scanning through pages of text. Her long brown hair had been pulled up haphazardly, and she pushed some loose pieces out of her tired eyes, revealing a smudge of black grease across her cheekbone. Kevalon raised an eyebrow. This was the boss, huh? You got a little... He flicked his fingers in front of his own cheek. She sighed and wiped it with the back of her hand. Though it smeared into a soft gray, the smudge remained. The corner of his mouth tugged up. You got it. Her expression remained impassive as she appraised him. Then she lowered her gaze to the tablet again. You high brass? He craned his neck to get a better look at the set of badges on the jacket around her waist. Gramps made sure I got the special treatment, didn't he? I don't think so, she mumbled as her fingers slid along the tablet's surface. Your titles have been stripped. From the look of it, you're lucky he let you keep your given name. Kevalon leaned forward and smirked. What's it say? I'm intensely curious. I'm sure you are. He shifted in his seat as she continued to sift through his file. He couldn't tolerate the silence for long. So you really take the time to tete-a-tete with every new soldier that comes aboard? Rake lifted her eyes from the tablet and stared at him. I like to know who someone is before I ask them to risk their life under my command. Well, he scoffed, that's a special kind of martyrdom. I think I'd prefer the blind eye approach myself. Wouldn't that be easier? Easier? Yes. She held his gaze, not wavering in the slightest. She was dead serious. Cavalon bit the inside of his lip. He didn't know what to make of that kind of adamancy. For possibly the first time ever, he couldn't think of anything snarky to say. He tugged on the suddenly too tight collar of his vest. Are you the warden? This isn't a prison. With that cavity search, you could have fooled me. He smiled. She did not smile. I'm the EX. His humor faded, eyebrows raising in honest surprise. Exhibitor? Rake didn't respond. That's a pretty high rank for babysitting delinquent soldiers, no? She shoved the tablet away and leaned back in her chair. I'm inclined to cut you some slack, Mercer. This isn't a normal situation. We don't usually take civilians into our ranks. Our royalty civilians? But you're not making it easy on me. Not up for a challenge? If you think living at the Divide's not a challenge, you're in for a rude awakening. Right, Cavallon laughed. You guys are the stuff of legends. How's that nursery rhyme go again? Sentinel, sentinel, at the black. Rake sighed and crossed her arms. Do not blink or turn your back, he continued. You must stand ready to stem the tide, lest viators come to cross the divide. Her decidedly unamused glare sharpened. Cavallon shrugged. There's another couple of verses, I'm sure you know them by heart. You think this is a game? No, no, it's important, I get it. We're protecting mankind from another viator incident. He leaned forward. Except they died out 200 years ago. He sat back and crossed his arms. Had to clean a few up during that little resurgence war skirmish, but I guess that's a matter of course when it comes to Xenocide. Bound to miss a few here or there. Rake's eyes narrowed. You're really calling a nine-year war a skirmish? 
Don't get me wrong. It's good the Legion is keeping an eye on things out here. And they're certainly putting all their best people on it, shuttling in every court-martialed and troublesome soldier they don't know what else to do with. With a grating screech, her chair slid back against the floor. The table groaned as she leaned on clenched fists. She hovered over him, amber eyes alight. His breath caught in his throat, but on instinct he swallowed the feeling down. If nothing else, his grandfather had taught him how to counter intimidation. She was merely a discarded soldier, another one of these outcasts. He had no reason to fear her. This attitude is going to get you in trouble, she growled. A soft, mechanical buzzing drew his attention to Rake's right arm as it tensed, pressing into the metal table. Shimmering silver and copper squares folded and unfolded as they slid down her bicep and rearranged themselves onto her forearm. And I'm pretty much the most even-tempered one in this place, she continued. I'd keep my head down if I were you, little prince. If your fellow soldiers find out who you are, you're going to have issues. Cavalon scratched his left arm and looked down at his new tattoos, then back at Rake. Hers weren't black like his new sentinel imprints, and though they weren't gold and bronze like his royal ones, the effortless, perfectly geometrical formation they took up as they slid down her arms told him they definitely weren't the black market kind either. Not just any Legion soldier had real Viator imprints. In fact, he'd only heard of that combination of colors once before. Wait, Rake? Adequin Rake? Her impressively flat, stony glare persisted. I've heard of you. He couldn't hide the fascination in his tone as he leaned forward. You were Spec Ops, a titan under Praetor Lugin, right? No one here is who they used to be. Not you, not me. You need to get used to that. He had to consciously force his gaping mouth closed. You're a goddamn war hero. How'd you end up at the Divide? For what seemed like the first time since she stepped in the room, Rake blinked, but she recovered instantly. You should do your best to forget who you used to be. You can have a fresh start if you're willing to take it. That's just, he scoffed. Sorry, I was trying to think of a nice word. Delusional. It's delusional. A fire lit in Cavallon's stomach as Rake reached across the narrow table and grabbed him by the front of his hooded vest. His eyes went wide as hers narrowed. You might be a big deal back on Elysia, she said, her quiet tone disturbingly level. But this isn't Elysia. This isn't the core. This isn't even system collective territory. You're no one on the Argus except a soldier, an Oculus. And you're lucky we even let you be that. No one here gives a shit about you. If anything, they'll despise you because of who you were. Heat flared in his chest. I'm not my grandfather, he growled. His chair tipped onto the back legs as she shoved him, then released her hold. Prove it. Rake marched toward the door and it slid open, but she hesitated in the doorway. She took a deep breath before looking back at him. The anger in her eyes had softened, replaced with the same look of tired defeat she'd walked in with. Life on the Argus doesn't have to be hard, she said. But we're legion. You have to remember that.
Your comrades are not going to respond well to this entitled prince attitude. Do yourself a favor and cut the shit. She turned and disappeared around the corner before calling back. Bray, give this one a psyche, Val. Oh, come on, Cavallon groaned as the door shut behind her. The good soldier stick lodged in Bray's ass seemed to slide away, and he relaxed his shoulders, grinning at Cavallon. Great first impression, princeps. Nice job. Cavallon let out a breath and smoothed the front of his rumpled vest. That's what he'd always been best at. Great first impressions. Chapter 2 Adequin Rake sat on the bridge of the Argus in a captain's chair she had no right sitting in. She'd trained as a fighter pilot, a tactician, a marksman, but she did not have the skills of a dreadnought captain, even for an immobile dreadnought. Though she might have felt more comfortable if it were in active service. She couldn't fly the thing if her life depended on it, but at least there'd be some tactics involved, some kind of strategy a way to utilize her training and expertise. She wiped at the grease still smudged across her cheek. She'd had the chief mechanic teach her some basic life systems maintenance so she could feel more useful, and got a whole load of feeling useful this morning when one of the thermal control units in Novum Sector decided to fail. Despite the inconvenience of waking at 0200 to fix it, she'd enjoyed the manual labor. At least she'd accomplished something. She picked at the edge of the navy blue padding on the armrest of the stiff chair, made of lightweight, durable era steel, like basically every other thing on the ship. The bare bones bridge crew milled about around her, attending to their daily tasks. Her imposter's chair sat at the top level of the half circle room. The decks of the bridge fell away in three staggered tiers, landing at the foot of an enormous view screen which showcased an outward view of the universe which was to say the divide, which was to say fucking nothing. The giant black screen was always black, always had been and always would be. Her second-in-command's master terminal and the primary systems station sat a tier down, and the bottom level contained the weapons and piloting terminals that would in all likelihood never be manned again. She'd even turned off the ship's dour virtual aid because who needed a dreadnought-class battle intelligence to keep a glorified watchtower aloft? Adequin looked up to see herself ascending the stairs from the middle tier toward the system overview console. Ugh, void, she cursed. She held up a finger to halt her doppelganger. Its edges quivered and it seemed to jitter backward and forward along its path before it came to a stop. Hold on. Adequin turned to her second in command. Uh, Jack? Yeah, boss. A tear down, Jack in North hovered over his terminal's display, the bright orange glow of the holographic screens warming his light brown skin. He didn't look up as he continued to swipe through data. Have we drifted? She asked. Jackin's dark brown eyes shot up in alarm to meet hers. Have we? Adequin tilted her head to indicate the copy of herself standing beside her. Shit. Jackin buried his face in the screen again. Adequin's future self crossed its arms. 
This has been happening more and more frequently, Optio, it said. What's going on? Come on, don't get involved, Adequin grumbled, standing from the captain's chair to face her duplicate. Jack just asked me to check, shh, you. Adequin took it by the shoulders and ushered it to the door of the bridge. Just stay put, you'll be gone in... Her doppelganger flickered and wavered, then disappeared from existence. Well, Adequin said, looks like the thrusters are working. She descended the steps to stand over Jackin's shoulder. He shook his head. We aren't getting any errors, but something must be off with the stabilizers. There's no reason we should be drifting. There's nothing out here to pull us one way or the other. Could that new recruit's transport have caused it when it left earlier? That's like asking if a mosquito could move a pile of elephants. She shrugged. I have to rely on you for this stuff, Jack. I'm no ship captain. He looked up long enough to flash a grin. I know, boss. Check the systems console, read me back a number. She ascended the stairs to the system overview console and a terrifying sense of deja vu washed over her. She'd started to take the actions her doppelganger had just a minute ago. She shook off her unease and approached the console. She swept open the interface and a holographic display of the kilometer-long ship unfolded, each sector labeled with dozens of numbers. Top left, Jackin said. She read the numbers back, and Jackin grumbled. I don't get it. It reads like we drifted outward over 50 meters. Maybe the sensors are just malfunctioning. Adequin closed the interface and returned to stand beside the captain's chair. This has been happening more and more frequently, Optio. What's- She cut herself off as she realized she'd fully caught up with the actions of the time ripple. She hated when this happened. Jackin shot her an amused glance as she trudged down the steps to stand next to him. How can we fix it? She asked. I don't know. He scratched his short beard and gestured to the main screen, still showcasing a panoramic, perpetual view of the nothingness before them. It's not like I have anything to anchor us to, or from. What about a buoy, would that help? Only if it'll stay put itself. I'll put in a request. Great, so we'll see that on the other side of never. She smiled. I'll label it a priority. I won't hold my breath. EX, sir. The crew foreman, Kamara, called from her terminal across the stairway. She turned in her stool as she tucked a strand of dark brown curls back into her prim bun. It's almost 1200, sir. Adequin glanced at the chronometer above the view screen. Right, thanks, Kamara. She gave Jackin a pat on the back. The Tempest is incoming, I'll go meet them. Adequin left the bridge and headed for Quint's sector, swiping her clearance to steal a shortcut through a narrow maintenance passage. When she arrived at the hangar, the service access door slid open, bringing forth a waft of warm air tinged with the dense aroma of grease and rubber. She stepped onto the second level catwalk encircling the hangar and glanced over the railing to the operations deck below. The once polished aerosteel decking had long ago lost its sheen, marred over decades of service from when the Argus had been the SCS Rivalis over two centuries ago, one of the most formidable ships in the system collective fleet at the end of the Viator War. 
What would have once been bustling with pilots, deckhands, starfighters, and support crews now sat empty, save for the large repair platform, home to a half dozen workbenches. On Attaquin's right sat the entrance to the port docking bay, where warning lamps oscillated between red and yellow to indicate the still-open airlock on the other side. On the opposing wall, a massive central bulkhead loomed, beyond which lay a mirror image of the same setup on the starboard side of the ship. The hangar had been split during the retrofit 200 years ago, when the dreadnought had been repurposed for the Sentinels after the Viator War. But the second hangar hadn't been used since budget reallocations forced them to discontinue charting and exploration missions. In Attaquin's early days on the Argus, those missions had made her day-to-day far more tolerable. Sure, they literally never found anything, but the possibility alone worked to combat the stagnancy. She'd had to cancel them after less than a year, and though regrettable, she just as often wondered if another four years of vacant star charts and unfruitful element probes would have only served as another unneeded reminder of how truly on the edge of nowhere they were. The echoing squeal of an impact driver cut through the dense quiet and Attaquin's gaze lowered to the operations deck. The chief mechanic, circuiter Jocelyn Lace, hung from the truss halfway up the side of a seven-meter-tall mobile service gantry. Two oculi stood below her, one whose arms and hands and pockets were completely full of wiring, parts, and tools, and another who stared up intently, arms hovered as if ready to catch the circuiter should she suddenly lose her grip. Attaquin descended the long access ladder to the bottom deck and headed toward them. The unburdened Oculus snapped a smart salute, and Attaquin waved off the other as they fumbled with their armful of tools in an effort to do the same. Lace's gaze drifted down, and she holstered the impact driver into her tool harness. One of the Oculi hissed a gasp as Lace unhooked her arm from the truss, then slid down two meters before hopping the rest of the way off. She faced Attaquin and saluted, fist to chest. Sir. Circuiter. Attaquin greeted her with a nod, eyeing the pair of protective goggles nestled in Lace's short silver hair flecked with white ringlets. Those go on your eyes, Attaquin said. Last I checked. Oh, that's right. Lace flashed a good-natured smile, her warm voice gravelly with age. Hey, at least I had them on my person this time. Baby steps, sir. Consider stepping a little faster. This ship will fall apart if you go blind. Lace nodded. Yes, sir. Adequin eyed the partly dismantled service gantry. That same gantry giving you trouble again? Never not, Lace grimaced, pulling off her grease-stained work gloves and tucking them under one arm. Good to see you're not at the ass crack of dawn for once. Thanks for helping me out, by the way. Would have taken me twice as long on my own. Though I'm still not sure how I feel about giving the EX orders. Adequin smiled. Glad to help. Did you need something, sir? Just here to greet the Tempest. Lace glanced at the docking bay, its airlock alarm still flashing. They should nearly be done pressurizing. I'll need to clear them for egress. I'll take care of it, 
Adequin offered. I know you're probably chomping at the bit to get back to repairs. Lace's faded brown eyes glinted with humor. Thrilled, sir. Tell Bach he owes me a beer. Will do. Lace returned to the gantry, and Adequin left, crossing the barren deck toward the bay entrance. She unlocked the controls beside the massive hatch doors, just as the readout ticked down to the last percent. The screen flashed green, and she tapped in her clearance code. The massive doors let out a hissing exhale, then bisected, pushing out a waft of cool, dry air. No matter what they did to try and fix it, the docking areas always remained a dozen or so degrees cooler than the rest of the ship. Across the now-equalized bay sat the newly-arrived, 50-meter-long scouting frigate, the SCS Tempest. Its polished aerosteel frame glinting silver in the harsh overhead lights. The blue glow of the quad-ion engines faded, and the heat vents released a long, shrill purr before falling silent. Adequin crossed the expanse of diamond-plated decking to the landing pad, one of six docking areas outlined with tattered, reflective demarcation tape. Crimson beacons lit on the underside of the ship, and the hatch ramp lowered. One by one, 15 crew members disembarked, rucksacks thrown over their shoulders. Each one stopped to salute Adequin as they passed before disappearing into the main hangar. A few seconds after the last had left, Griffith Bach finally emerged. Too tall to clear the squat doorframe, the thick, muscled centurion ducked through the hatch and stepped off the tempest. He hefted his pack onto his shoulder, and his silver and copper imprint tattoos glinted along his bicep. His eyes landed on her, and he smiled, his teeth a flash of white against his warm, brown skin. Shades of gray sprinkled his trimmed beard, but he didn't look a day older than when he'd left. As the most centrally located sentinel vessel, the Argus acted as home base for the crew responsible for maintaining the network of buoys comprising the sentinel alert system. For the last six months, the Tempest had patrolled the downward expanse of the Legion-occupied section of the Divide, stopping along the way to make any needed repairs. However, the closer one got to the Divide, the faster one moved through time. The same phenomenon caused the unnerving flashes of the future when vessels drifted too close, like the Argus had earlier. So even though to Adequin Griffith had been gone six months, it had only been two weeks for him and his crew. This had been his assignment for the last three years. Three years to her, three months to him. Griffith dropped his pack off his shoulder and descended the ramp. Avitus Fortis, Titan she said. Avitus Fortis, he echoed, pausing long enough to press his fist to his chest in a proper salute before continuing toward her. I'm gonna catch up with you soon, Centaurian. She threw her arms around the burly man's neck. He pulled her close, then let go to look her over. You haven't aged a day either, Moacare. Yeah, right. If you keep this post, it'll only be ten years before I'm older than you. His dark brown eyes flickered with unease. You mean 10 months? She shook her head. Lace says you owe her a beer. Griffith's jaw firmed, but a smile tugged at his lips. God 
damn, she's relentless. About what? He rubbed a hand down the side of his face. Nothing important. After 20 years, you'd think I'd learn not to bet against her. One would think, Adequin agreed. How'd it go? Nothing to report. Boys are all clear, no signs of activity. A few minor repairs, but we got it all squared away. Did you dock at the Acora? We did. They're doing well, being good sentinels as always. They heard from HQ lately? Griffith's brow creased. They didn't mention if they had or hadn't, why? Nothing. She blew out a short breath. They keep delaying meetings, haven't had a true status update in five months. I think they're bored with us. He gave her a warm grin. They just trust you, Quinn. They know you have your shit in order here. Yeah, I guess. Adequin's nexus beeped, and she glanced at the interface. It was signaling an incoming call from Bray. She tapped the black band on her wrist to open the comlink. Go for Rake. Sir, Oculus Bray. Bray's voice came crackled and staticky over the line. I have the results of the psyche value ordered. Adequin sighed, exasperated by the reminder of the snarky, entitled bastard. I'm in the hangar, meet me there. On my way, sir. Adequin closed the comm link and offered Griffith a weary grin. Duty calls. He nodded over his shoulder at the Tempest. I have to do my final report anyway. Drinks tonight? I shouldn't, I have a ton of paperwork. He raised his thick eyebrows. Just some wrecks and other boring EX stuff. He frowned and stuck out his lip. But I've only got 36 hours. She grinned. Like I'm gonna let your shore leave lapse without seeing you. We'll make something work, promise. All right, he said as he backed toward the ship. I'm holding you to that. He turned away and jogged up the ramp, ducking into the Tempest. Adequin started toward the operations deck, but found Bray had already arrived, marching a brisk pace across the bay toward her. He stopped and saluted, tablet gripped in his other hand. Sir. She nodded, and Bray unlocked his tablet, then opened the secure data transfer menu. She tapped her nexus and a small holographic interface opened above her forearm. Holding the inside of the black band to the face of Bray's tablet, the transfer initiated, popping the encrypted file up on her screen. Though antiquated, the proximity served as an intentional security precaution, the only arguably more secure method being actual physical paper, which could then be destroyed. Adequin hadn't yet encountered a need for that level of security in her time aboard the Argus. In fact, she couldn't remember the last time she'd seen a piece of paper. Bray saluted and began to walk away. Bray, she called after him. He about faced. Yes, sir. Do me a favor, don't tell anyone who he is. Of course, sir, he said his gray eyes steady with their usual resolute firmness, and she knew she didn't have to worry. He'd keep his word, he always did. Bray had always been one of her most reliable oculi, and well overdue for a bump up to circuiter. 
but she'd technically expended the number of promotions she could hand out given their current population and had to wait on approval from Legion HQ before advancing anyone else. Which was another reminder message she needed to send tonight. She gave Bray a grateful nod. Thanks. Dismissed. He marched away, and Adequin glanced around. The twangs of Bray's retreating boots echoed in the empty launch bay, and the muffled sounds of Lace's repairs floated in from the main hangar, but otherwise she was alone. She opened the encrypted file, and a bank of text appeared in the air over her forearm. She read the first paragraph, then scrolled down, skimming the rest for the broad strokes. Unfocused intelligence, shrewd, insolent, complex issues with authority, lethargy, self-medication, depression. The last line read, caution and close observation recommended. She let out a hard breath as she pinched the file closed. She hated this programmed psychological bullshit. Even with advanced AI, machines couldn't really read a person, really tell what they were like what they were thinking, or what they were capable of. She'd only ordered the evaluation out of spite, an attempt to assert dominance over the unwieldy recruit, which deviated from her customary approach, but he'd proven to be a whole new breed of disrespectful. Every sentinel was a delinquent of a sort, soldiers who had been court-martialed for some offense or another, insubordination, theft, perjury, fraternization, desertion, treason. But they were all soldiers, and they regarded her with at least a modicum, if not a great deal of respect. Maybe because they knew who she was, knew she'd been a titan. They also knew she must have done something to end up here, and that endeared her to them. They could empathize with that. But not Cavalon Mercer. He'd been forced aboard the Argus and into her charge by machinations and politics, the motivations of which she'd likely never understand and didn't care to. The bottom line was, he wasn't one of them, and he would need to be managed differently than a soldier. What that management entailed, she didn't know. For now, she'd just have to keep a close eye on him. That's all for now. Thank you for listening. Make sure to follow Stories from Among the Stars on your preferred podcast app to get the next episode. Or if you just can't wait, you can find The Last Watch and its sequel, The Exiled Fleet, wherever books or audiobooks are sold. Thank you.